We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and today we're going to start a six-week series on... um, on this section of scripture that we've entitled the least of these and uh, I think it's going to be a a really neat time you know um, I don't know if you guys know this or not but we're living in a world where uh, there are many needs that we as Christians I think are called to meet and we read that throughout the scriptures but I think what can happen is we can get negligent we can get really internal we can get almost selfish And it's so cool every once in a while to go back and remember that we're called to be salt, we're called to be light, uh, we're called to make a difference and to show love in a very tangible way. And so, um, you know, a lot of times you go to church, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this or not, because it really takes an effort to hear the study and to go home and to do something different, to be something different, you know. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get frustrated. You know, I'll go and I'll hear a study and I'll get stirred up, but then I'll go back into the same old rudder routine. And yet, within me, there is such an insatiable desire to be different and to make a difference in this world that we live in. Because, you know, you go down and, and you look at people and they're, they're flying by in their cars or, you know, whatever. They're, they're, they're on the freeway and you see all those people and you wonder, man, do they know Jesus? And, uh, and your heart just goes out to them. You know, like the Lord, when he saw all the people that were weary and scattered and they were like sheep having no shepherd. And you're like, Lord, I want to make a difference. And so... You know, we can sit back or we can be uh, like a proactive people and pray and say, okay, Lord, what do I need to do to open those doors? Uh, I really want you to stir us up as a church to where we can go hear a study. And, and, and here's the thing, okay? To where you hear a study and it, and it has the, the capacity to where you know how to apply it. You know, because I know, like, you can hear a study and, you know, whatever, it's real, like, theological or whatever, but you don't really know, well, how does it affect my life? Um, what's it calling me to do? And we can hear a ton of those studies and get frustrated. And so, I don't know, man, the Lord just kind of stirred me up and said, hey, you know, let's do this. We're going to do a, a six-week summer series and then... Boom, we'll be back in Second Chronicles. Don't worry, we will continue to teach you the Bible. Um, but um, I, I think every once in a while, you know, it's good to just kind of step in and say, okay, we're going to teach a study on, you know, the Trinity or the study on the, the attributes of God or the names of God. And in this case, uh, we're going to do a study. Uh, it's called the least of these because Jesus said when you've done it unto these guys, you know, the least of these, he said, then you've done it unto me. And when I hear that, I think, whoa, that's pretty heavy. Because look what we read here, Matthew 25 in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least, one of the least of these my brethren, you did it unto me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will answer to him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, now literally in the Greek, it's amen, amen. In other words, this is true. I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting or eternal life. And so it's a heavy passage. I just had a curiosity. I know this is old school. This goes way back. But have you guys ever heard the song by Keith Green that, that covers this section of scripture, The Sheep and the Goats? <gasps> okay, two you have to you have to hear that and this is terrible i can't believe man we we got to we got to play that and, and you know what is cool is because we're this is this is going to be something we're going to be meditating on for a few weeks and so i think it might be appropriate to, to play one of these uh one of these services but he's got a great a great uh song and he, he talks about that day and you know he's a great piano player but he just dramatizes it and, you know, um, it's, it's really, really cool. It's exactly what this is. And so he's talking about the sheep and the goats. And these go away into eternal life. But these go away, the same thing, eternal, eternal punishment. And then he got to go, goes on in the song and he says, the only difference between the sheep and the goat, according to this section of scripture, is what they did and didn't do. So just for a moment, do you feed the hungry? Do you give water to the thirsty? Do you clothe the naked? 
Do you visit the sick? Do you take the stranger in? Do you go visit someone when they're in prison? Do you help the poor? And don't misunderstand me. This is not how we're saved, you know. It's like, okay, it's not a social gospel. It's not like, okay, in order for me to go to eternal life, I have to do these things. No, what it is is that if you have eternal life, you will do these things. You see, that's the way it, it works. So if you're not doing these things, you really have to check your heart. And that's why it's cool to come back to the scriptures and be reminded. And I think sometimes, not that you guys, not that we are not saved or, or maybe not that we're just selfish. I just think a lot of times, this is what I've learned. Have you guys learned this in life? Out of sight, out of mind. That happens a lot. We forget missionaries because we don't see them. We forget the prisoner because we don't see them. We forget the sick because we don't see them. We, we don't know that every single day 2.7 million children die from hunger. We don't know, it's out of sight, it's out of mind, that every day 7,100 children die because they have no food. We forget, it's out of sight, every, out of mind, 20, every 20 seconds another child dies because they have no food. And so now with the technology that we have and the internet and you know the communication, we can know these things. And now I, I think we're responsible. you know. And so my prayer is that it will make a difference. Now one thing I want to do is just kind of give you the context to this whole statement here. Uh, again, there in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now, isn't that like an awesome thought? Jesus, you know, you read Daniel 7, the Son of Man coming, right? And he comes with his, in his glory. It's going to be amazing, right? Revelation 19 talks about Jesus coming, and did you know that every eye will see him? Every single eye on planet Earth, and you know, some people say that's, you know, satellite television. Maybe they're right. I have a feeling that it's just bigger than satellite television. You know, I just have a feeling that when Jesus shreds into our dimension, that it's just going to be bigger than something we're going to have to see on satellite TV. But when he comes, every eye will see him. And then, and then what he's going to do after the seven-year tribulation is he's going to set up his throne. That's what it says right here. And the throne of his glory. He's going to set up his throne there in Jerusalem. He will rule and reign on planet Earth for a thousand years. So first is the rapture. You guys ready for the rapture? If not, you get left behind. You're going to be in big trouble, right? And you guys know Jesus is coming soon? You guys know that, right? If you don't know that, you better wake up. You better start reading your newspaper. You better turn on the, 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 the news and just see that the Lord is coming. You see all the signs. He's coming soon. We, we can't just get ready. We've got to stay ready. Because when he comes, I don't want to be caught doing something I shouldn't be doing. I don't want to be left behind. And so the Lord's coming. Seven years, first the rapture, 
then the seven-year tribu tribulation, then after the seven years is what we're talking about right here. When Jesus comes and he sets up his throne in Jerusalem and he's going to reign on planet Earth for uh, a thousand years. Now, I don't know for sure if this is the way it works out, but, you know, when you do the math, uh, I've, I've always been taught, my pastor told me, you know, when you, when you study from creation to Abraham, it's 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, it's another 2,000 years. From Jesus to now, we're looking at, and if you look at the Jewish calendar, we're somewhere around another 2,000 years. And then you have the 1,000-year millennial kingdom. So 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 6, plus 1 equals what? 7. 7,000 years. And that seems to be the pattern that we find in the Bible. It just, to me, it seems like everything is just, it's obvious. Things are lining up. And so the Lord here, he comes, he sets up his throne in Jerusalem. You read Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And then Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. And it talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ. But then we read in verse 32 that all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Now it's interesting. I came to discover that this was... This is actually something that would take place, that if you had a shepherd who had both sheep and goats, and by the way, sheep and goats were both considered to be clean animals, and every once in a while they would you know, have them together, but um, they would have to separate them, obviously, right? And so that's what we find going on here. So the seven-year tribulation has taken place, Jesus comes back, and what we have now before that thousand-year you know, reign as it begins, he judges the nations, and that's what we have taking place right here. This is referred to as the judgment of the nations, and Jesus will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then we see here that Jesus speaks to the sheep. Now, most people believe that the 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 nations here is in reference to the Gentile nations. Now, the Gentile nations are the non-Jew nations because this is what happened, you guys. During the tribulation period, the, uh, the Jews are going to be persecuted. They're going to be persecuted to the point where two-thirds of them will die. Also, during the tribulation period, in the great tribulation period, you read Revelation 7, you're also going to find simultaneously that the Jews are going to get saved. Right now, God's dealing with the Gentiles, but God is going to pour out his spirit on the Jews. And during that time, we know 144,000 uh, of the Jews, and they're named there by tribe. They're going to be like Paul the Apostle, and they're going to go out and they're going to share the Lord. So you got that going on. You have the Antichrist who's persecuting the Jews. You guys remember, any of you here see The Hiding Place? Remember that lady, Corey Ten Boom? You know, and her story was, was, would happen you know, there in which the Jews were being persecuted and what she would do, what they did, is they hid the Jews. They took care of them because you know, Nazi Germany and different 
ways in which the enemy was working through different rulers of different countries, they were killing them. And so uh, they called the movie The Hiding Place. They took care of the Jews. Okay, now when this whole thing starts, and you see all the things going on in Israel right now, it's not a coincidence. When all this starts, okay, you guys, you guys are all going to get raptured, right? Okay, or just in case anyone here gets left behind, okay? <laughs> I'm just joking. You won't get left behind. But the, the people that get left behind... Right here, this is who he's talking to now. Um, there are going to be Gentiles that are actually going to help the Jews. He says, Jesus says, the least of these my brethren, primarily speaking about the Jews. During those days, you feed the hungry, you give water to the thirsty, you take care of them, you go visit them, that type of thing, right? That's kind of like what we would call the precept of this background. Again, Jesus first of all speaks to the Jews in verse 34. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then they say, they're say, Wait a time out. We never did that to you. I mean, imagine looking at Jesus in his glorified state. Imagine seeing King Jesus on the throne. It is going to be an absolute glorious thing to see. What a spectacle, right? And so he said, well, when I was in these situations, you guys did this to me. You guys took care of me. And then they're going to say, well, I don't remember that, Lord. <laughs> I mean, we had a, a lot of people come to our door and we ministered to them and we gave food, but I don't ever remember giving it to you. And that's when the Lord says right here, verse 37, then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, you thirsty or give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger take you in or naked and clothe you and when do we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? And the king will answer and say to them, As certainly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, notice my brethren, you did it to me. In that day, in the world, like Nazi Germany, in many ways, the Jews will be considered like the least. You know, and, and the Lord is saying, you guys, you know, you took care of them. You, it shows that you're saved. Your faith and what you did and the benevolence that you expressed for the least of these. You know, because we'll, we'll do stuff a lot of times for the greatest of these because a lot of times we want to get a kickback from it. But no, the least of these, the Lord said, when you did it to the least of these, then you did it to me. And that's an important principle to remember, you guys. And, and I don't want to isolate it only to the Jews. Of course, we need to take this scripture in context first, and then we get the precept, and then we can run away with the principle of it. You know, but, you know, we got to understand it in context. But then I think there is the bigger picture. You know, it's interesting in the book of Acts, chapter 9, when the Lord Jesus appeared to Saul in the vision. You know, he's brighter than the sun in noonday. And, and remember, you guys, remember what the Lord said? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And Saul's all, wait a minute, I didn't persecute you. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. I didn't persecute you. I persecuted the church. Yeah, but see, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. You see the way the identity is? You go and you give that, that guy, that homeless guy over there, you know, whatever, some food. It's like you're giving it to Jesus. See, that's a principle that we have to understand. You know, the Lord calls his people, his sheep, to come in. And, and what's going to happen at this point is those people are saved, okay? And they're going to enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ, okay? So Jesus is going to be there on the throne with his holy angels. We, who are raptured, and also the Old Testament saints, will be there in the millennial kingdom. We're going to be in our glorified bodies, and so will they. We'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus, those who survived the tribulation period, the righteous, the sheep that Jesus is speaking of here, they will enter in as the saved, but then they will multiply. During the thousand-year reign, nobody's going to die, and that's why we're going to see at the end of the thousand-year reign there's a rebellion because there's a lot of unsaved people because everybody still has to make the choice. All the kids of those saved people have to make choices, you see? And so that's what ends up happening. They come in to this kingdom, Right, And so the Lord calls him into the kingdom, an inheritance, he said, that was prepared for them from the foundation of the world. And then he explains why they were called to come in, why they were his sheep, why they were righteous, why they were receiving an inheritance. And he just says it's simple. And I like this, you guys. I don't know about you. How many of you here are simple? I'm simple, okay? I was hungry, and you gave me a burrito, right? <laughs> I was thirsty and I needed some clean water and you gave me some water, right? I was a stranger and, and you took me in. Now remember, back in those days they didn't have hotels, so it was really common. And nowadays, you could still take someone in. There might be someone who needs a place to stay. God might be calling you to open up your home and your room and let them live there. And you're like, no. And they can't walk around, you know, or whatever, and without a shirt, or I don't know. You know, and you get all, uh, everything gets, you know, discombobulated and uncomfortable, and God says yes. And, and again, it's not always that way, but sometimes the Lord will ask you to come on, open up your home. When Chuck Smith was there, and all the hippies didn't have a place to stay, he opened up his home, and they all stayed there. They slept in the bathtub, and the rest is history. You know, and it might not be they live at your house, but maybe you'll reach out to them, the, the one that's a stranger, the one that's all alone, and you reach out to them. You know, this is why they were able to come in, that when they, you know, didn't have any clothes, and you saw them there, and their shoes had a whole bunch of holes in it, or they didn't have any shoes. We went to the kids in Cambodia and God gave us that great privilege. Nothing about us, but they didn't have any shoes. We were able to get them some shoes or, you know, when they're sick, somebody visited them in prison. The Lord said, because of that, you know, you come in. Now, remember, the people he's addressing, they don't know that Jesus was the one they were doing this to. But the Lord says, this is the principle. You actually did this. Unto me, we read that in verse 40. Now, this sets the context for all the the studies that we're going to hear on Thursday nights. And to me, I'm so excited about that. 
You know, and when you look at this right here, we see the contrast then to the the goats. Where he says, you know, you guys right here, verse 41, those on his left hand, think about this. Imagine hearing these words, depart from me. You cursed. Now the others were righteous. You guys are cursed. Into the everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. You know, the Lord knew, of course, what was going to happen. He knew that before time was set in motion. But you got to know that hell was not created for man. Jesus here said it was prepared, it was created for the devil and his angels. See, that was the intention. But here we see the Lord says, and this is a reality, this is what's going to happen. These will go in that direction. And the reason, he says, is the same thing. But now it's flipped, he says, because I was hungry. In verse 42, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Now, they, they, they didn't remember the Lord you know, because if Jesus would have come, if Jesus would have come and say, hey, Manny, you know, can I have, you know, one of your bags of Fritos? Sure, Lord, you know, definitely, you know, you can have all my food, Jesus, you know. But but then when this one comes over here, and, and you know, and, and every everything needs to be, you know, taken to the Lord, but I'll get a job. That was Jesus. It's come knocking at your door. Don't answer. Don't answer. Okay, that's they're strange, right? <laughs> you tell the Lord, well, that wasn't my ministry. And God said, I sent them your way. And you turned them away. See, these guys, the contrary was they didn't have the works. You see, here's the thing, you guys. I think there's a lot of Christians who think that their evidence and their their whole, this is, I'm a Christian, man, because I go to church. Because I read my Bible. I memorize my Bible. Do you know how much I pray? This is my gift. Oh, I'm so... You think God's impressed with that? I mean, praise God, you guys... I do pray that we have the spiritual disciplines, that we come and we huddle together and we meet with the Lord, but that's not you know, to be the, 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 the final goal. I, I want to go out into the world and, and I want to make a difference. I want to mingle. Uh, you know, when was the last time you had lunch with someone who was as lost as a lizard? I like Chuck Sundahl, he said that, you know. Um, when was the last time you fed somebody who was hungry? You gave water to someone who was thirsty? You clothed somebody who was naked? You know, we have a lot of resources, right? We do. What do we do with it? Here the Lord, I think, is just challenging us, and I think it's a good challenge to, to, really, you know, to really examine my life. Are these things present in my life? I tell you what, the Lord's getting really specific here, Right? And again, it's not salvation by works. Okay, let's go over to Ephesians 2. And we're going to turn to a few scriptures because I know a lot of you know these things, but for those of you who do know these things, I want to tell you something. Not everybody here does. There's a lot of new Christians here that have never really covered even the basics of Christianity. And so it's good to look at them. We can't take these things for granted. 
And so we read in Ephesians 2, notice in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And you might want to circle where it says not of works. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yeah, God, I gave to the poor. Okay, then, you know, you're saved because you gave to the poor. No, no, you're saved by grace through faith. Here's how it works, okay? You, God made us, we rebelled, we went our own way, we sinned, we separated ourselves from him. But then the day came when we realized, I need Jesus. He loves me. He died for me on the cross. All my sins were laid on him. He paid the punishment that I deserved. He suffered in my place. And so, Lord, I need you, Jesus. Jesus, come into my life. And when, you, when we did that, then what ended up happening was we got saved. That's what he says. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, right? And so there are a lot of people who out there who, who think that salvation is by works. And so if you guys ever want to go to McDonald's and talk to people about, you know, hey, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I just ask them that question. Hey, if you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven? And you know what most of them will say? They say, yeah. I'm a good person. Yeah, I give 50 bucks a, a week to the church. Yeah, and they tell you all the good they did. But no one goes to heaven by good works. See, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's it, period. So we know that, right? So in one sense, it's kind of cool because in one sense, it takes the pressure off. I tell you what, you guys. I sin every day. I'm not proud of that, but I know that. You know, they say the closer you get to God, the more you realize how wretched you are. So I want to get closer, and I tell you what, I'm realizing these things more and more, right? And so what ends up happening is, you know, you can get, man, I wonder if I really know the Lord. I wonder if I'm doing okay. And, and then you're reminded of the gospel. Remember, Manny, it's not by works. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, okay? And so we read that here. We read that in so many passages in the Bible. I tell you what, you read the book of Romans, you read the book of Galatians. Those things talk about that. Hebrews as well. But here's the thing. Go over to James chapter 2. Here's, look at what it says in verse 14. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that type of faith, literally, can that type of faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. And so he says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And that's what he's trying to say right there. And that, that's the main point right there. 
is a way that you can know whether or not your faith is real is whether or not you have the works, the evident, the, the evidence, the fruit to show it. I think a lot of us here, we don't know who, who knows the Lord or who doesn't know the Lord. We're, that's something, the Lord knows those who are His, right? Second Timothy chapter 2 says that. But we know some people where it's just the fruit is so evident. And you're like, man, it's so cool. You know, their faith is shown. But if you have faith, Without works, it's dead. That's what he says. And it doesn't profit at all. And so someone comes up to you. Can you imagine? Look again right there in verse 15. If a brother or sister is, okay, this is the extreme, okay? Naked and and destitute of daily food. I mean, this is not like some of the people you, you'll, you'll see who, who are asking for food and, and they're rather large if you know what I mean, you know. It's like, you know what, you don't look that hungry to me necessarily, right? But you go and you see this kid and he's like a toothpick. I mean, here's someone who's naked and destitute of daily food and they come to you, hey, can you, can you help me? And, and what do you do? You say, you say uh, God bless you, bro. I'll be praying for you. And then you turn around and you go eat your Big Mac. God says, you want, can I tell you something? You don't know me. Because your life, it doesn't show it. That's what he's saying here. I, I'll show you my faith by my works. And so, like C.H. Spurgeon said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. You know, faith, you know, we're not saved by, by works. But if we're saved, there will always be those works. And a lot of those works, you guys, um, they're not just the religious stuff. It's not just the religious stuff. And that's where, to me, I, I think where I need to just grow in, I need to improve on. You know, I, I get so blessed to know that, you know, we're gathering together for these types of things. But if there's a homeless man out there, let's minister to him. I mean, God, God kind of brought him our way. That's really what this is all about. So when every 20 seconds another child dies from hunger, and then another child, or another child, or whatever the case may be, right? Um, and, and, and the Lord is up there seeing all these things, and we're we're indulging. I think that God is gonna is trying to kind of bring a wake up call. You're gonna see later on when you see how much money we spend. I have a little thing right here. It tells us all the money we spend on different things. It's gonna be a wake up call. I, I, I at least I hope it is. And it is for me anyways. You know the Lord says I was hungry and you gave me no food. And uh, and again this is not the slugger. This is not the slothful man. This is what we read about in James 2, the, the, the one who is destitute of daily food. This is not the hustler who tries to rip off the church or the con man or the lazy man of the Proverbs. No, this is the poor and impoverished person. You know, Deuteronomy 15:11 and Mark 14:7. it says, Jesus said, you know, you're always going to have the poor and I want you to help them. That's what Jesus said. You know, if you go over to Job 31, look at this. 
real quick. I wanted to look at a few more scriptures just to kind of wrap it up. And Job is just saying, you know what, I, I have I have tried to walk with integrity. If I haven't, maybe I'm being, you know, chastened. But he says here in verse 16, if I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail or, or eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it. That was something that Job acknowledged as, a, as an act of wickedness that would deserve the punishment of God. Here I am stuffing my face. Here I am eating my morsels. And I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are orphans out there. James 1.27, this is pure and undefiled religion. You know, before he says keeping yourself unspotted from the world, he says you take care of and you visit the widow and the orphan. Before I did that for myself, I'm cognizant of the fact that there are those out there who need food. And I'm doing my part. Job said, if I hadn't been doing that, then punish me, God. Because we deserve that. You know, you read the different scriptures. When you guys do this, and here's the thing, and I know a lot of you do, and if you haven't, I'm not trying to tell you you're, you're not a Christian necessarily. Um, everybody has to examine their own life. I, I just have a feeling that we've been Americanized and we need to wake up to what the, really the Bible says about the church's responsibility. You think it's the, it's the government's responsibility? It, it really should never have gone into the hands of the government. You know, to where they're doing the, the welfare and all that kind of stuff. No, if the church had just been the church, what, what we're supposed to be as Christians, and that would have never been necessary. Some people say, well, there's not enough food to feed the world. They, they don't know what they're talking about. There is plenty of food to feed the world, right? But, but here we read in Proverbs uh, chapter 14, and and this is what I what I what I think, and I and I just know this to be true, and I know you guys, this is going to resonate with you. In Proverbs 14, in verse 21, it says, "He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy, happy, is he." Now, I know you don't hear a lot about happiness in the church. But the Bible uses the word happy. Maybe they should use the word blessed or, or joy. But I, I just, I think of the, the I want to be happy in life. How? More toys? More food? <laughs> don't get me wrong, I like to eat, okay? But the thing is, right here he says, when you have mercy on the poor... You're going to be happy. And how many of you can resonate with the fact that when you give to somebody, that you just it just feels so good? It feels so good, huh? Because um, selfishness, the selfish man who considers only himself, the selfish man is the one who lives closest to the doorsteps of hell. 
But Jesus said, blessed, it is more blessed to do what? To give than to receive. And so there, there are the poor. Now, we happen to live in a, in a, in a country that, that doesn't have, you know, uh, I think when globally, comparatively speaking, as much poverty as the rest of the world, but they're, they're, are, they're, they're out there. And we, we know about this. If you've never heard this before, then, you know, we'll give you grace. But I have, I have a feeling that most of you have heard this somewhere in your life, that there are many hungry children out there, that there is this an impoverished third nation, third world countries out there that, that don't have the, you know, the, the water, the food, the clothes, nothing. We went to Cambodia and we went to Prevang and we went to the, one of the most poorest uh, little villages in the whole wide world. And we saw with our own eyes that they eat ant soup. And we went to the capital, we went to Phnom Penh, and we saw with our own eyes that they normally don't eat meat, that they have rice, you know, so they have a rice day every day, you know, three times a day, you know, and, and that's it. That's not enough. That's not enough for them. So what do you, God says, okay, I showed you this because I, I want you to help them. I want you to make a difference, Right? I mean, it's so much more than superficial religion. You guys beware of being becoming a Pharisee. And I say that, and I, and I don't want to offend, but I say that to myself as well. Beware of becoming a self-righteous Pharisee, you know, who thinks that the religious stuff is, is what proves I'm a Christian. You know, uh, like I said earlier, I attend church, I read my Bible, I pray. Now, I believe those things are very important. Those spiritual disciplines show that you have a hunger for God. So don't misunderstand me. What I think, what I'm, what I'm talking about, though, is when you think that that's it, that you don't have to go out and show benevolence. You don't have to go out and love, you know, people. Well, you become like the Pharisees of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, back in Isaiah... Chapter 58. you got to turn here. This is such a, an enlightening passage. In Isaiah 58, because, you know, we want to fast, and there are, there are those times that we need to fast, you know. But look what he says in verse, seven, uh, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. And so verse 6 is talking about, it's not just, you know, fasting, treating people fairly. Treating them fairly, right? And then in verse 7, is it not to do what? To share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. See, and we're like, okay, let's fast for power. Let's fast for the Holy Spirit. Let's fast for revival. Yes, fast for those things. But are you giving your bread to the hungry? Are you treating people fairly? And he, and he says right there, are you bringing people into your house and when you see the, the naked that you cover him and 
You don't hide yourself from, you know, your own flesh. Sometimes we can do this even to our own family, right? And, and then he says, then, then your light shall break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily. I mean, how many of you guys want that light, right? We want the light. We want the healing. And God's saying, cool, I want to give it to you. You know, I want to heal you of whatever it is, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual things that are going on. Oh, well, let's fast. Yes, that's fine. We got to fast as God would lead you. But how about sharing your bread or taking the stranger in or treating people right? The Lord is saying right here, and your righteousness then shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. He's going to take care of you. Then you shall call. Then you shall call. Then you're going to pray. And what's going to happen? The Lord is going to answer and you're going to cry, and he's going to say, and say, here I am. Then. Then. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, and we can do that behind people's backs, right? If you extend your soul, and I like this. To me, this is, um, it's not just feeding them food. It's feeding them spiritual things. So if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, right? He says, Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as, as a noonday. And the Lord goes on just to say, I'll, I'll bless you. And so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, you guys, let's be, let's, let's know what the Bible teaches about these things. When Jesus saw all the people that were weary and scattered, and, and then, you know, the disciples come up to Jesus and he says, Hey, Lord, you better send them away. Because it's getting late. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, I can't. I got to feed them. Because if they try to go home now, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to make it. So I have to feed them. And I, and I think that, that that heart that Christ has is the heart that, that, that he's, he's calling us to have as well. Here's an interesting passage. Go over to Luke 14. When I first got saved, um, my pastor used to always make me go over to different places in the Bible. Are you guys okay with that? Because you know what? It helps you learn your Bible. Hey, that's where the book of Colossians is. I never knew it was there. You know, and I tell you what, you guys, if I could just say this, not to be legalistic or anything, but get yourself a Bible. <laughs> Don't just do it on your phone. I mean, if you can't afford a, a Bible, like a regular Bible, you know, talk to Henry. He'll buy one for you. Or, or, or you know, I'll, I'll, we'll buy you one as a church. I'm sure we can. But I would love it, even for some of you younger people, to have a Bible. You know, because I tell you what, there's nothing like flipping through and knowing where those pages are. And then you can add to that your iPad or your iPhone or whatever. Sorry, but I just, I always think about that. You know, to me, it's just good to know where these books are. Here in Luke 14... Look what it says in verse 12. It says, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, and do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
Now, I, what the Lord is just saying here is, you know what, every once in a while, you know, you know, have the carne asada barbecue and invite people that you just know they can never really pay you back. And try to find out who is that, Lord. God is saying reach out to them, right? And then you give them that type of dinner. And you read it throughout the scriptures. Ephesians 4, verse 28 says, Let him still, still no longer. But what do you do instead of taking? He says, But let him work with his hand so that he can give. How many of you here, and I know some of you here, what ends up happening is the Lord lays a family on your heart. Because there are some, even in this church, they don't have a lot of money. And they are eating, you know. Like when I grew up, I remember, how many of you here, did you used to have bologna uh, for breakfast? Tortilla and bologna and ketchup. Amen? Right? And then you had, you know, flat eggs. I remember flat eggs for dinner. We didn't have a lot. You know, but then the Lord lays someone on your heart and you say, you know what, I know they're hurting. And then the Lord lays on your heart and you're going to get a $25 gift card or whatever to Ralph's. And you just give it to them. Now, I know they're not like the one in the third world country, but they themselves when you're sensitive to the Spirit. Well, you see this one right there, and it just, you know, a week goes by, another week goes by, another week goes by, and you're like, man, I notice that they have holes in their shoes. This little kid, and, and I know they don't have money. And you try to do it in a way where it's just discreet or whatever. Maybe you can get them a gift card, you know, to Vans or whatever. But you see, this is, this is what the Lord is talking about, right? And you start giving. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19, Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich to give, to learn to give. See, I mean, God gave you riches not to increase your standard of living, but your standard of giving. Some people get rich and they say, okay, now I get the big house and the big car and the fancy clothes. And God says, hey, be careful. There's nothing wrong with those things necessarily in themselves, but maybe I blessed you only, not that you can bless yourself, but that you can you know, start giving. Imagine if everybody caught that vision, right? Um, 1 John chapter 3. Go over there, if you would. First John chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And you're like, cool, I want to lay my life down for the brethren. Okay, how? How? Verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. If it's going to be true love, it can't just be I love you. It has to be like, hey, you know, there are things that you do. You see your brother in need and, and you meet those needs, right? And so we're going to get into this series and we're going to talk about the different things, you know, about... You know, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I get so convicted when I think of people in prison who need letters or need visits. When was the last time you did that? Do you know of anybody in prison? I, mean, I think most of us do, right? Well, do you write them? 
Do you write them? If not, why not? Here's the thing. If you want to write somebody in prison and maybe you're like, well, I don't know if they're going to have my, my address because, you know, the might get in the wrong hands. And I tell you what, use the church address if you want to. I mean, I, I don't know. Hopefully you're not. I don't know. The Lord will lead you, but and we'll talk about those things. Um, but I, I just really pray. This is my, my prayer that this week, if you have a family, this week you will get with your family and you'll say, okay, the, our assignment this week is to somehow feed the hungry. Somehow feed the hungry. How are you going to do that? I don't know. Like I said earlier, it might be a family in this church that you know is hurting and, and you're sensitive to the spirit and you give them a, a gift card to you know Vons or something. Um, or it might be you have, okay, this week you pray and you're with your kids and you always know that there's this homeless guy right over here and he always has a sign that says, uh, you know, I need food. And the Lord just shows you that's the one. And so you go and you make them a nice lunch. Maybe not the leftovers. You're like, hey, I don't know what to do with this. We'll give it to the dog. No. Yo, we'll give it to the guy over there. And God says, no. No. Don't give me the leftovers. You go and you make him something nice. And you and your kids, or, or if you don't have a family, you and your friends, and you make it you make it deep. You make it real. And then you go feed someone who's hungry. Or you might go down to Skid Row, or you might get with the Union Rescue Mission, or you might get with, uh, what's the one, Greg Laurie's aunt, what's her name, that ministry? Fred Jordan, you know? Or you might go online. If you go online, you'll find some really good organizations uh, like bread.org or fh.org, that's food for the hungry. Or you might go to Feed My Starving Children, fmsc.org or christianaid.org, thehungersolution.org. There's a lot of really good organizations out there that are feeding those kids that I'm talking about, the ones that are dying. They'll, they'll take your $10. You go with your kids and say, look what they do, mijo. Look what they do and, and look at these kids, these children that are being fed we're going to give them $10. And I tell you what, you start teaching your family. And, and what does it do? It just, it just brings joy into the house. You know, we find ourselves uh, spending a lot of money on a lot of different things. And I think what we need, I read this today, so forgive me if this is old, but uh, it sounded kind of cool to me. Not, not, you know what dental floss does? Okay, we need mental, mental floss, right? We need to kind of like cleanse our mind and say, okay, Lord, forgive me for forgetting. You know, because what do we do? Well, Americans last year, they spent $96 billion on beer. Um, $1.4 billion on over-the-counter teeth whiteners. $310 million dollars on pet Halloween costumes. $10 billion on romance novels, right? $16 billion on chocolate. Now I might get some people mad at me for that one, right? $4.2 billion on perfume. $34.6 billion on gambling. $17 billion dollars on video games 
Five billion dollars on ringtones for our phones, you know. Eighteen billion dollars on late credit card fees. Five hundred million dollars on Twinkies. That's not too bad, huh? I didn't want to share this one, but I felt like I had to. Eleven billion dollars on coffee. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not trying to just, you know, do anything beyond my scope of influence whatsoever. And I am not trying to be legalistic, but I just have a feeling that if you could take maybe a couple of those chocolates or maybe a couple of those coffee drinks or maybe, you know, one bottle of perfume and maybe one package of teeth whiteners or, or maybe, you know, just a, a little bit of, you know, don't buy your pet uh, a costume this year or whatever, you know, just, man, if we would just take just a little bit from that and give to someone who's hungry, who's dying from hunger, then I have a feeling that in just in looking at what we saw today, that Jesus will be pleased. Because this is what, this is what saved people do. This is what, what Jesus' sheep do. And I know in closing, you know, we, we think, well, but there's so many, you know, there's... You know, you got uh, 50 million in Asia and 46, you know, million in Africa. And you've got, you know, these in Latin America. How can I make a difference? And oh, I don't know. It just reminds me of the the story of the man who was walking down the beach. And uh, and there were literally thousands of starfish that were swept up on the sand. And, and what he was doing was he was going down the sand, he was taking up a starfish, and he was throwing it back into the ocean, one by one. And so a guy comes back to him, and behind him, he sees what he's doing, and he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm saving the starfish. I'm making a difference. And the guy says, you can't make a difference. There's, there's thousands of these. And, and, and then what does he do? He, he goes down, and he picks up one, and he just throws it into the ocean. And he says, you made a difference to, to that one. And yeah, m- you know, I don't know, man. Maybe we can't solve the whole problem of hunger. I don't know, maybe we can, but I do know this, that I can make a difference. And even if it's just one, wouldn't you say it's worth it? I would. And so, you guys, let's... Let's put, you know, the the rubber to the road. Let's really, I pray. Your kids are learning the same lesson in their classroom. And your youth, if you have any youth, they're learning the same lesson in their classroom. And so if you're ahead of a family here today, I really implore you, follow through on this. And maybe it won't be this week, but at least the, the wheels get set in motion to where you begin to, 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 to apply this to your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, for your word. And uh, It's hard to think, Lord, that there's a lot of hungry people out there that, that don't have enough food because we live in this place where there's a plethora of food. And I know food in and of itself is not bad. Even you came eating 